Hey guys, welcome back to the Writer's Lens. I'm JC Alfalto, and this is continuing in my Hindsight is 2020 series, talking about story, film, books, uh, anything I've pretty much got my hands on, and going backwards in time to do hindsight on that particular uh, story or franchise or, or whatever it may be. So sit back, enjoy this one, because we are talking about one of my all-time favorite things as a child, dinosaurs. And quite honestly, uh, the biggest, baddest dinosaur franchise that I've ever run across is definitely Jurassic Park. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so stick around. Here we go. Jurassic Park. Hindsight's 2020. Okay, so as always, welcome back to The Writer's Lens. I'm J.C. Felto, And as I've said before, the lighter side of the J.C. Felto podcast endeavors so thanks for tuning in. If you have not heard of my other podcast, The Narrative Wars, you should, and that's why I'm going to tell you about it now, to so go check it out. Uh, available on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you would have found this one. Uh, you can also find the podcast, The Narrative Wars, where I talk about societal, cultural, theological, pretty much anything I really want to talk about that has to do with narratives is over on that podcast. So be sure to check that one out when you get a moment. Uh, but first... Let's get into the hindsight on the series known as Jurassic Park. Now, a little bit of a primer here. Jurassic Park, when it came out, and I think in 1993-94, I'm not entirely certain, but I know it was early 90s, it was a game-changer of a film. Uh, the movie was based on the book by Michael Crichton, who has long since passed, uh, basically trying to resurrect dinosaurs in the modern era, because who wouldn't want to do that anyway? Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know what Jurassic Park is. It doesn't need a huge introduction. But the reason for my primer is to remind people of the impact that Jurassic Park had when it first came out. You see, the movie was directed by Steven Spielberg, who was mostly known for his uh, great films like E.T., uh, some of his involvement, I think, in Indiana Jones. Uh, he had also done the movie Jaws. Uh, Spielberg was a pretty prominent name. Uh, I think he did Close Encounters of the Third Kind as well. Uh, he had already put his name on, on the map, essentially, and now he was taking up the reins to do Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park ended up being this incredible uh, combination of visuals and storytelling and soundtrack and just toys, toys galore. It was a franchise explosion when the movie came out. Because, again, who doesn't like dinosaurs? They're interesting, they're fun. But on top of all that, these dinosaurs looked like the most modern and up-to-date versions of dinosaurs we'd ever seen. Uh, they were a combination of animatronics and CGI, uh, of which the CGI at the time was cutting edge. And they were walking with their tails sticking up. They weren't dragging behind them. They looked fearsome. Their noises, their sounds, everything about them uh, were quite fascinating and just remarkable. And then there were the velociraptors, the raptors which are now forever embedded in the nightmares of young children, uh, even as adults, as being these terrifyingly smart dolphin-level pack hunters uh, that uh, supposedly can open up doors with their claws. <laughs> so... Jurassic Park was a cultural phenomenon when it came out. Just hands down, it was a cultural phenomenon. It was a monstrous hit uh, when it hit theaters. And because it was such a huge hit, because of the impact that it had, because of the, the, the source material had never really been kind of seen before, and because they did it on such a grand stage, 
Hollywood was just chomping at the bit to turn this thing into an extended franchise. Now, granted, Michael Crichton had written a book called The Lost World, which was a direct follow-up to Jurassic Park. Uh, But when the movie came out, it was kind of like more of the same, and we weren't really sure what they were doing with it. Uh, And there there weren't really any big surprises, I guess you could say, in this film. I mean, the dinosaurs still looked great. The CGI was really good. But there was something missing from it. And I don't want to say it was the mystique of the film or the majesty, but some of it just felt all too familiar, or maybe we weren't really sure where it was supposed to be headed uh, in that movie. And then, of course... Several years later, the uh, the franchise was again revitalized with Jurassic Park 3, which featured a uh, now-debunked version of the Spinosaurus, which is the biggest carnivorous dinosaur that has ever been recorded in the fossil record. It has since been given a much more diminutive, uh, diminished look, <laughs> more like a crocodile with a fin on its back, uh, but still the largest carnivorous dinosaur that we know of uh, by sheer size and length. Uh, But this version was able to stand upright and go toe-to-toe with the T-Rex and kill it and take the place as the titular villain of the Jurassic Park series, in theory. But even after that was over with, and Jurassic Park 3 tried to resurrect the series alongside uh, uh, the return of Sam O'Neill's character, uh, Dr. Alan Grant, uh, it still couldn't quite get off the ground. And so we waited years and years and years, and there were talks of Jurassic Park 4 and all this kind of stuff. And then Jurassic Park World came along in 2015 with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, and it was a huge success. It was a monstrous success. The franchise seemed to get some new legs. It had some revitalized energy. Uh, Chris Pratt was very popular because of the Guardians of the Galaxy, his involvement in the Marvel films, and of course being involved in in other various TV shows, Bryce Dallas Howard, a variety of movies that she had been in, very popular name. Uh, Jurassic World was kind of a remake of the original Jurassic Park, only now there was a giant, even more mutated creature known as the Indominus Rex, which was quite scary and frightening and served every bit of purpose that it was supposed to as, again, the titular villain of the film. But then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out, and not quite sure what was going on there. So, <laughs> um, another mutated dinosaur in the form of the Indoraptor, uh, but slightly smaller than the Indominus Rex. Still every bit as terrifying, but just still strange. Uh, what is going on? You know, the, the question I think on everyone's mind, now that I've kind of run through that very quickly, is what's going on with this franchise? Why is it that the sequels can never quite measure uh, measure up to the uh, to the catalyst films with Jurassic Park, uh, and I think I have some good reasons for that. So uh, I'm going to get through a couple of quick bullet points and then kind of give my my main thesis on this this particular franchise, which is Jurassic Park. Because again, I love Jurassic Park. I I love the franchise, <clears throat> even if I'm not so crazy about all the sequels. I'm still in love with dinosaurs. I still think they're amazing, even though I've never met one or seen one live before. But but, but the CGI versions, the animatronic versions they make, they're really cool. They're really something else. But but anyway, uh, first of all, no bringing dinosaurs to the mainland. Okay. Uh, I think one of the things that really uh, hurt the Jurassic Park series was when in The Lost World, in the sequel, a T-Rex was brought to uh, the mainland of the United States. 
and it got loose and it was marching all over town. It was attacking buses and people. And it was kind of like a scene out of Godzilla or something like that, which normally I would, I would appreciate, but it just seemed as though it was this very forced, very strange scene. It almost felt like the, a scene from Predator when the T-Rex gets out and he kind of roars over the city. It felt like it, from the scene from Predator when the Predator's looking over the city. It just didn't feel right. It, it really just did not feel right. And he's headbutting buses as though that's not going to hurt him. The bus shatters. It's a big, big bus. And somehow the T-Rex is able to do this with no problem. Again, it just it felt gimmicky. It didn't feel like a like uh like any of any of the the terrors of the first film where you're kind of on really unfamiliar ground uh where you're literally in the wilderness and you have only some sticks and stones in your wits about you and there's a massive 20 foot tall meat-eating monster that could swallow you in one bite yeah that's that's a little bit more terrifying but if you're running around in the open streets of downtown what was it los angeles san francisco i i don't even remember where the city was to be honest Someone will fact check me on that, I'm sure. But it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like Jurassic Park because it's supposed to be Jurassic Park. It's not Jurassic Park comes to the city. Uh, so bringing the dinosaurs onto the mainland, I think, was a big mistake uh, from the get-go, um, and it, it, at least in the way that it was done. So that's my first bullet point. The second one is exploring this bioweapon concept a bit earlier. I know that the Indoraptor and the Indominus Rex, the two bad guys of... The Jurassic World films have been touted as the the bad guys. I mean, the 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 bad dinosaurs. Okay, they're the bad mutations. Even though the other dinosaurs are mutations too, uh, these are the the really bad ones because they're made for the sole purpose of terrifying people, and in some cases becoming a highly trained killing machine that could kill on the part of humans in in war and combat. And 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 quite honestly. If this is the route that Jurassic Park is going, where the dinosaurs are going to be used as some sort of bioweapon, then it almost becomes a completely different set of films. It almost turns into something like Resident Evil or uh, you know, some sort of dystopian Pacific Rim in, in some way or something. I don't know. And it can go a completely different direction than this idea that these are animals, they're just trying to survive, and now they've been transformed into these malevolent villains that are literally being trained to kill human beings for the benefit of other humans. That's a completely different scenario and story. And quite honestly, I'm, I'm not even sure if I could get on board with that. But if they were going to explore it, they should have done it a lot earlier uh, and really come to the conclusion that, hey, this is the direction we want to take with it. And maybe we'd be nine films later like Fast and the Furious, which still I'm, I'm just mind-boggled that that's as, that franchise has been going on as long as it have been, has been as well. So anyway, so number three. Following the story of Alan Grant and Ian Malcolm as adversaries throughout the Jurassic Park franchise, to me, would have been great. Uh, they were great uh, foils for one another in the first film, uh, where Ellie Sattler was kind of this object of, a, of, a, uh, of affection from Ian Malcolm, really drove Alan Grant crazy, because he and Ellie were... Uh, you know, we're close partners in crime as paleontologists go. That's the best way I can say it. <laughs> so... Uh, Having those two kind of juxtaposed against each other for another film would have been really fun, I think. Jeff Goldblum and Sam O'Neill just had good chemistry, I felt like, from the first movie. And the fact that they split them up in the second and third film just, again, just didn't seem right, didn't feel right. And it would have been a lot better to have them in the same film. In fact, they even kind of make chai remarks about one another, or snide remarks, I'm sorry, about one another, where Grant literally says, yeah, I read uh, Malcolm's book. 
And the one guy's like, yeah, it was all this chaos theory. And guy just really seemed high on himself. And and I think Grant like nods and says, you know, that's one thing we have in common, you know. So, so I think, again, this is Hollywood and, and getting actors to, to sign on for multiple films is never an easy, easy task, I'm sure. But having those two characters still follow with one another, being kind of like fun adversaries, I think would have made for a really good story um, if they would have been in the same films with one another. But uh, moving on from that bullet point. Um, fourthly, the sequel, uh, Lost World. Uh, this is a big one for me. The sequel, the initial sequel, to Lost World, to me, should have been another perspective from the fateful night where in Jurassic Park they lost power. So let me explain what I mean by this. There's a thing in uh, storytelling known as a companion novel. Uh, for me, there's the Shadow series from Ender's Game, uh, which is called Ender's Shadow, and there's various books that come after that. So there's a whole book series about uh, Ender Wigan in the Ender's Game novels, for those who are familiar. And then there's this whole series uh, called Ender's Shadow, and it follows a character named Bean who meets Ender in the very first book, but this is told from his perspective now, and it, and it follows him throughout a series of books. And Ender shows up periodically throughout some of the other ones as well, because he is the main character of the other of the other book. Uh, but this Shadow series idea, I think, would have really been beneficial for Jurassic Park, because instead of having to have a sequel that was going to be something, okay, we're going to go on another island, it's going to be a couple years later, or whatever, go back to the original situation where the power goes out and all hell breaks loose and nobody knows what's going on have another character maybe someone working the dock someone at the boat that was trying to get off the island when the storm broke or you know from the guy uh you know dennis nedry uh who was stealing the the, the genetics of the of the dinosaurs for some organization that you know we, we never really got a good a good handle on uh what if there was another story there that we could have followed throughout that entire eventful night where the dinosaurs were getting loose? Like, what happened when the raptors first got loose? What happened when the Dilophosaurus got loose? Were there other dinosaurs on the island that we didn't get to see that would have served as really good fodder um, for the audience? And, uh, you know, little nods to the first film would have been really cool. But it could have stood on its own. And, and I think that that would have been a way to keep things centralized on the island and really still kept that level of suspense by having sort of like a shadow uh, story going on with the with the sequel. So that being said, um, my number one in all of this, or fifthly, I guess, um, bullet point in this hindsight is 2020, is a new dinosaur villain. Um, something like a Mosasaur or even a big Pteranodon uh, for the entire film would have been pretty cool. I mean, we've... We, we've already seen the T-Rex, okay, the, the really giant terrestrial uh, meat eater. And we've seen the smaller one that can open up doors and is smart and is a pack hunter. You know, give us something else. You know, give us something different. I mean, the Indominus Rex is an interesting idea. Uh, the Indoraptor is an interesting idea, but it's far too familiar, I think, uh, if you're going to do a film with Jurassic Park. Showcase something that's in water. Showcase something that can fly. Uh, do something different that has perhaps never been seen before that people you know might not suspect as being a potential baddie that uh, and when I say baddie I mean b a d d i e uh, for 
you know, for the film. And again, I, I think that would have um, made for a really, really good story. My last point in this, the hindsight is 2020, is that, you know, part of what makes the Jurassic Park series, at least the original, so interesting and attractive and in, in some sense very mysterious uh, is the confined nature of what the main characters are up against. Um, the dinosaurs are sort of this unknown thing. We know them, they're familiar, but we don't know what they're going to do when they encounter human beings. We know that it's going to be probably bad. You know, we know it's going to be bad. But it's this kind of sense of I'm stuck out somewhere and I don't have all of my normal tools available for me to, to get out of it. Uh, so it's a survival story. You know, it's, it's like, what will human beings do uh, when they're faced with these impossible situations? It's, it's almost like a zombie apocalypse scenario, only there's dinosaurs. And I think that when audiences, especially in today's age in the 21st century, when we, when we watch a, a movie or we read a book that has to do with survival, we're really taken to a place where we really can insert ourselves into the story and go, well, what would we do? You know, what would I do if I was in this particular circumstance and how would I um, try to survive? You know, would I throw people to the wolves, you know, so that I could, you know, make it out alive or whatever it may be. And I think Jurassic Park has the opportunity to present things like that without getting too uh, glossy, without getting too glammed up with the prospect of bioengineered weapons. And I know I mentioned that earlier as something that they could have explored earlier. But again, that was if they wanted to divert and go down a completely different road than what the the series has ultimately functioned as. And I think if if anything is telling about the original Jurassic Park is that that wouldn't be the position to take um, is to turn the dinosaurs into machine gun wielding, uh, laser uh, firing, uh, weapons of mass destruction, but rather trying to figure out, do they even belong with humanity? Do they even fit into the current uh, structure of the animal kingdom? You know, there's a lot of philosophical questions that can be explored instead of becoming an all-out Rambo-style, Terminator-style, shoot-em-up-kill-em-up-fest, gore-fest, like so many franchises end up becoming when they run out of ideas and they're not really sure how to explore them anymore. And I would hate to see that happen to Jurassic Park. Uh, and uh, again, I just, again, I know this is hindsight, but rather with some foresight going into the future, maybe that's the path that Jurassic Park could still take um, into the future. So those are some of my thoughts in hindsight on the Jurassic Park franchise. What do you think, listener? I mean, uh, uh, what do you think? could have been done better with Jurassic Park in hindsight. And, and granted, the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, still going forward as far as I know. Uh, hopefully the third one in the Jurassic World is better than the last one. I, I, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. But either way, uh, those are some of the things that I thought would have been pertinent uh, had I been in control of the pen years and years ago. And granted, I would have been like 10 or 12, but you never know. So anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll catch up with you guys again soon. This is J.C. Alfalto for The Writer's Lounge.